Welcome to the Cat City Offers Podcast. This is episode 89. You've got Chris and Brian, and today we're going to talk about some vehicle-based stuff uh, as far as responding to ambush, uh, gunfighting around vehicles, uh, etc. And I, I'm, I'm going to put a sharper point on this. I'm going to call it crowd-based stuff. Um, as a civilian right now, and potentially as a law enforcement officer in this country, you know, we're, we're seeing some, some escalation of tactics uh, of crowds around folks in vehicles, um, both combatants and non-combatants. Um, if you're a law enforcement officer right now and you don't view yourself as a combatant, you need to fix your mind because you are in the freaking war. It might be a small war and you're a little part of it, um, but it is legit. Um, so we, we had an opportunity uh, here recently to do some training with a, a group of guys we train with on a regular basis. Um, you know, so starting off with the, the crowd-based conversation, when does a crowd become a deadly threat, different things of that nature. Um, these are all questions for attorneys. Um, contact your attorney, contact a law enforcement officer, contact a subject matter expert to figure out what constitutes a crowd. Um, three teenagers with a sign chanting at a roundabout is not a crowd of people and it does not put your life in danger. Um, having said that, three people, two of which have ball bats and one has a gun, is a crowd or that might be considered cocktail. or Molotov cocktail might be considered a deadly threat. Um, so we're not here to dispense legal advice. We're just here to talk a little bit about tactics, techniques, and procedures. Um, also, we're, we're, some of this we're going to gloss over a little bit because I don't want to throw too much at the bad guys to let them know. Um, not that anybody's chasing us down as subject matter experts to figure out how to do counter tactics to counter ambush or counter ambush. Um, but that kind of mentality. So we probably won't dive super deep into the weeds other than to say, seek competent training. Um, you'll probably hear that phrase again a few more times. So. Yeah. <laughs> Just due to the, the nature of everything that's going on along with, you know, angles, multiple people, um, et cetera, this is a, a very important thing to seek competent training. There it is. Um, regarding, um, in fact, you may need to get additional training and things like movement, um, mm-hmm. working in teams or working in pairs, um, so stuff like that before you even attempt to bring a vehicle into the conversation. Absolutely. Um, guys, the, the four rules of firearm safety still apply in and around vehicles, cramped spaces, and in and around other people. Um, so, you know, th- this is, you know, it, it, they always apply, period, end of conversation. Uh, when you start getting into a vehicle and start worrying about drawing a gun and how do you get a gun out, especially if you carry appendix, how do you do things without muzzling yourself, etc. Um, you know, when you're, when you're getting in and out of a vehicle as well, um, there may be folks immediately adjacent to your vehicle that aren't bad guys and you can't point guns at them even on accident, even in extremis. Um, so these are all things you want to avoid at all costs, which is why it comes back around to see competent training for folks that can show you how to do these things safely. Um, and, and then build on that foundation, um, places you can go to learn to do these things safely. Um, Centrifuge, yeah. Will Petty, um, right now some guys, uh, this Centrifuge training is actually, they actually have contracts with the federal government. They're teaching FBI um, vehicle CQB tactics. They're teaching the Canadian Royal Mount of Police vehicle tactics. They're teaching a number of large state agencies, law enforcement agencies um, around the country, these techniques. Um, they're, they're also teaching uh, a number of large police departments as well, these techniques. These, these are the guys right now that are probably at the top of the game. Um, and, and the tactics come out of some local trainers as well. So there are some good folks here in Central Ohio um, that have a very similar pedigree in what they teach. 
Um, so, so be aware that there are some places here locally where you can get this training. Um, Sierra Training Group is doing VCQB yeah. stuff that's based off of centrifuges, stuff that they're currently put out, and it's all data-based information. Um, not a substitute for training, but going online and, and reading up on AAR-type reviews from the classes, uh, specifically a class they did up at Alliance here in the last year or two, um, and then also watching some of the videos where they talk about shooting positions, they talk about you know, uh, in and out of vehicles, all these different things, how, what the techniques are, um, avail yourself of an opportunity to learn through some of those uh, in, environments as well. Again, not a substitute for competent training, yeah. uh, competent trainer, but, but definitely, you know, you can review some of this stuff elsewhere and at least get somewhat of a grounding in it until you can get in that class. Um, so first, first things uh, first. Throwing okay. out there too. Yeah. Uh, ADA Tactical. Yes. Um, if you can get into one of their VCQB yeah. classes, also highly regarded. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if I, the only reason I didn't bring up is I don't know if they're doing anything non-LE right now. Okay. I know that they're hammered. So if yeah, so absolutely. I mean, it, yeah. you know, I, it, you know, not not to. I hope this doesn't open any wounds or anything like that. But Will Petty came out of ADA Tactical. Um, you know, so I mean, yeah. these you know, these are some guys that are extremely competent dudes. Um, you know, and that, that's, you know, that, that's where Will left 88 to go start Centrifuge and do his own thing. Um, you know, so again, the pedigrees there, the backgrounds there, that's why I use that term specifically, but I just didn't, I don't know if they're teaching yeah. open enrollment classes or not. Uh, if you're a if law you, enforcement you officer, a, avail yourself of yeah, it. Yeah. If you get a badge, you probably have more options on where you can Bingo. Go take classes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, and also understand too, that, you know, um, much probably as a source of pride for 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 centrifuge um, and the guys at 88 uh, but also I'm, I'm sure a, sh a lot of chagrin too is that most of what's being taught out there is being taught off their shoulders because they're the ones who put the data together they're the ones who looked at gunfights they're the ones who did the studies they're the ones who put the numbers together this is all very 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 fact-based experiential based tactics techniques and procedures that they put together based on what happens in stateside vehicle surrounded gunfights um so so let's kind of kick off a little bit about crowds yeah i was gonna throw out one more yep. instructor uh, if you can find him um here locally or on the east eastern side of the u.s uh, mike pannone yes. does a phenomenal um, vehicle based class around his covert carry um class okay yeah really good stuff um, i had an opportunity to take that about four years ago okay yeah. yeah, very cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of good guys out there teaching this stuff. Um, and it doesn't specifically have to be the stuff out of Centrifuge or, or out of 88. You know, I mean, you know, I'm sure there are other similar things out there. Um, you know, but just, just getting the practice around the vehicle is, is, a, very, is a critical set of skills. Um, and then the details from there, you definitely can sharpen that as you go. So, um, so in a vehicle, especially as a civilian, um, if, if you are presented with a large crowd um, that you perceive to be a threat to life and limb um, and you believe that a reasonable and prudent person would agree with you, um, you're in a vehicle. I'm not going to say you're in a weapon, even though most vehicles are four to six thousand pound weapons. Um, you're, you're in a mode of transportation that will egress you from that situation avail yourself of that opportunity if you get out of a functioning vehicle to engage somebody in violence you will almost certainly be viewed as the bad guy i'll say that one more time 
If you egress a functioning vehicle and engage someone in violence, you will almost certainly be viewed as the bad guy. Um, if you have a functioning vehicle, there's a crowd of people, ne'er-do-wells, and you are scared, you are in fear of your life, drive through that crowd. Don't accelerate necessarily unless it's called for. Um, when might it be called for? Someone points a gun at you. I'm going to push on the gas pedal. I'm not terribly concerned with who's in front of me. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest danger we have as civilians nowadays is that the folks perpetrating this manner of stupidity have figured out that they, if they mix in peaceful protesters um, with violent assholes, that we have to now as good guys kind of disseminate and figure out which one's which. Um, is it a peaceful protester standing in front of my car while some violent asshole points a gun at my kid through the side window? Um, at that point, it's a collaborative effort. Yeah. At that point, it's a collaborative effort. Um, sorry for the peaceful protester. It's time to get out of Dodge. And yes, I am going to accelerate. If I can just continue moving through that crowd with the vehicle, I don't want to run somebody over. Um, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to put violence onto somebody that doesn't deserve it. But but when it's if, if, if I can get out of Dodge, I'm getting out of Dodge. If I'm presented with a threat while I'm trying to get out of Dodge, I'm going to do it with alacrity. I'm going to speed up. I'm going to accelerate. And if somebody's in my way... Um, well, hopefully you've, you know, made yourself right with whatever God you pray to, you know, and you can deal with that situation. Um, the vehicle CQB tactics end of things could begin in that situation because you could find yourself in a situation where the roadway has been physically blocked and you're stuck. Um, you could find yourself with a disabled vehicle and you're stuck. You could find yourself with a vehicle that's been lit on fire and you're stuck and it's not drivable. At that point, it might be time to get out of the vehicle, but the fight starts probably from inside the vehicle. And that's where the vehicle CQB end of things begins is where you at exactly when it starts. Yeah, um, the big the big takeaway um, with all this for me with Pannone uh, was that if you can drive, you should be driving. Yes. Um, that is what your vehicle is good for. Um, after that, it is just a piece of terrain. Yep. Um that piece of terrain is either to your advantage or to your disadvantage. Yes. Um, use it if it is advantageous to you. Otherwise, go find better terrain. That's it. And, 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 and as, as, a, as a military member outside the U.S., the vehicle is certainly the X when the ambush kicks off. And you're often presented with differential threats than you will be stateside here in the U.S. for now anyway. Um, we don't have Antifa guys running RPKs, PKMs. Um, RPGs or, or, you know, other explosive devices as yeah. well. Generally, we're not seeing that yet. Yeah. Um, yet. And I'll say that one more time. We're not seeing that yet. Um, so understand that, you know, the, the, the military mentality of it's an armored vehicle, get behind it and seek cover or the military mentality of it's not an armored vehicle, get the hell away from it and find cover elsewhere may or may not be applicable depending on what you're being engaged with and from where. And hopefully you'll be able to tell what you're being engaged with and from where, um, you know, so that, so again, most of what we're talking about stateside, um, it, it's that application of a civilian non-up armored vehicle. Your you, the encounter is with bad guys who are possibly using rifles, but likely not full auto or belt fed machine guns, cruiser type weapons. And it's probably not quite as organized as an L shaped ambush would be that's set off by a VBID or, or some type of uh, directional IED or something like that that's pre-placed. You know, this is a little more a target of opportunity kind of thing that pops up for these folks. Have in, have, don't have no illusion, though. 
they, they've definitely planned it and they've got a plan in mind when it begins. So um, back to the vehicle being terrain, um, you know, can you shoot out of the vehicle? Yes, you can shoot out of the vehicle. Can you shoot through glass? You can shoot through glass. Yes. Um, we had a conversation a little bit about where do the bullets go for the first couple shots and the general consensus is um, there's not a hell of a lot you can do about it. You need to shoot a port through the glass and engage the bad guy. Um, understanding that when you start shooting at the bad guy, the bad guy's probably going to move. And then you have to shoot a new port in the glass. Might you be better off if the vehicle's disabled just to get the hell out of the vehicle and stop trying to use glass as cover and start doing things like using other parts of the vehicle to create cover. Or at least temporary cover or at least concealment, possibly, at that case. Yeah. It's still better than nothing. So, um, guys, they, w before we even, and, and I don't know how far down the rabbit hole we want to go about what you use as cover on the vehicle or what we want to give away or whatever from there, but getting in and out of the vehicle is in and of itself probably the single biggest reason you need to seek competent training. Um, there are conversations around, and you'll learn in the class, whatever, you know, whatever that instructor teaches about, do you draw your gun, then get out of the car? Do you draw your gun and engage the bad guy and then get out of the car? Um, context is always going to matter. The situation is going to dictate whether or not you're shooting from inside the car or whether you're getting out of the car and moving to a separate part of the car that affords you better terrain. Um, you know, one of the guys that we were shooting with basically has done some, some testing on the clock and he's talking about engaging if it's a, if it's a front contact situation, as it will be a lot of times for you law enforcement guys, you've pulled somebody over and they've decided that they're going to fight rather than run. Um, if it's a front contact conversation, then that guy getting out, you shooting through your windshield and trying to maintain bullets on that guy by shooting different ports in your windshield over and over and over again versus getting out of the car and getting in the back of the vehicle might be more advantageous. And from a time perspective, probably takes about the same amount of time. Yeah. And honestly, just getting out of the vehicle and getting to your weapon yeah. is probably a lot less likely to have you accidentally shoot yourself or a teammate. Exactly. You know, draw again, back to drawing the gun inside the car, um, go see competent training because there's a way to do it that's that's safer than probably what you're going to try. So, again, don't try this yeah. at home. Um, other other very important thing, oh, don't forget to take your seatbelt off. Yeah, there's that too. And there's a technique there too, as, as silly as it sounds. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of vehicle based stuff and so most of what I've done is a little bit outdated, but the instructors spend a boatload of time, spend a fair amount of time in each class talking about simply how to physically get to the buckle, um, whether it's, you know, hooking your thumb underneath the, the, ver the vertical strap, the shoulder strap on your seatbelt, running it down to the buckle, finding the buckle, pushing the button, releasing the belt, and then pulling it back manually out of your way. Um, in a very deliberate movement because just grabbing it, pushing the button and throwing it, it may go where you want it to. It may not. Um, you know, if I drop some jelly from my last jelly donut into the retraction device, maybe my, you know, maybe my, in my, you know, 12 year old SUV that I take off road and get in the mud and everything else, maybe the dust, uh, the jelly from the jelly donut and everything else doesn't allow that retractor to work properly. So, Going and taking the training is awesome, but also getting in your vehicle and seeing how these things work in your vehicle dry are, are critically important, too. Yeah. Also, you know, think about if our ambush started with some kind of collision. Yeah. Um, there's a good chance that seatbelt may have ratcheted tight. Yeah. Um, so you're not going to be able to move at all while that seatbelt's still on. Yeah. And, and, it, you know, and, and there are stories ad nauseum of things locking up and not behaving the way they're supposed to after a vehicle accident as well. 
Um, also a really good reason to have things like seatbelt cutters and stuff like that on your key ring, in your vehicle, on your person, etc. Um, some of these, you know, these new little window rescue me tools, glass breaker devices have a seatbelt cutter right in them. Um, boy, if there was ever a time when that would be a handy little device to be, have dangling off your keychain and in your ignition right in front of you within reach, uh, would be when that's locked up. So, um, so, so guys, the, the, the gist of this stuff is if the vehicle's terrain and you can't drive through whatever bad situation is happening, so your vehicle's been disabled, it's become terrain, um, it's probably time for you to get out of the vehicle. It's probably time for you to get out of the vehicle in such a way as to get the vehicle between you and the threat or threats, whatever that may be. Um, for, from there, you know, that's going to, you know, the whole climbing through the vehicle one way or the other and doing different things, the situation will dictate that. Um, again, we're back to if you're, it starts with you getting rammed or hit or in a collision or something like that, or maybe the guy next to you in traffic panics when all this kicks off and plants his car up against your driver's side door and then decides, screw it, he's making a run for it. Um, you may have to crawl through your vehicle. Um, if you don't have to crawl through your vehicle, don't because it takes time um, while, you know, threats are coming at you. But if you got to, you got to do whatever you got to do to get out of the vehicle, preferably on the far side of the threat, however that works out. Um, again, some of the things we talked about, you know, while we're training is, you know, the, the older methods of teaching this stuff and the methods used when you're talking about multiple, you know, more than two folks in a vehicle, um, because of fields of fire, it becomes an issue about how you get out of the vehicle as well. Um, and, you know, if it's just one or two people crawling through the vehicle slower, but it may be the only thing you have to do. So do that and make it work. It just sucks and be aware you can get hung up on shit. Um, and don't worry about destroying your vehicle because you will. So when you go to it's practice, it's already it, destroyed at this point. Exactly. It's already trashed at that point if it's not moving. So, um, but anyway, get out of the vehicle, you know, get to the far side of the vehicle and then use the most appropriate parts of the vehicle to keep the bad guy from being able to shoot at you. Um, you know, when, when I took these classes, it's been long enough ago that the conversations were almost exclusively around transaxles, wheels, and engine blocks. Um, what, what we're finding more and more and more is that that's, those are great techniques when we go back to the 1970s and 1980s when cars had V8 motors that were huge, when cars had center of gravities that were ridiculously high, motors were mounted significantly higher, they were mounted above axles, they were mounted above frames in cars, cars don't have frames anymore, um, and in general the engines tend to be a lot lower in vehicles, so the idea of Oh, well, just get behind the front end of the car and, and, and get behind that motor. Well, that motor very likely sits a foot lower than the hood of the car, and you've got a whole bunch of soft stuff on top of that motor that's not going to stop even pistol rounds, much less rifle rounds. Um, and these are some things that, you know, the, the guys out there teaching this stuff currently have been able to bear out through data from actual shootings. And then also, when you go and take their classes, they tend to shoot the crap out of a car or two to show you, hey, this is where bullets aren't going to stop. Car doors do not stop bullets. Engine blocks generally will stop a bullet for a few rounds, um, but again, where's the engine block in relationship to the actual outside appearance of the vehicle versus the structure internally where you can't see it? Same thing goes for the back end of the vehicle. Um, a lot of cars that are rear-wheel drive cars uh, you know, have a, a, a rear axle or rear independent suspension, but they don't have a transaxle in between that's going to stop anything, and a lot of the rims and stuff like that that come on cars might stop a round or two, might not, probably aren't going to stop rifle rounds, um, maybe pistol rounds, but probably aren't going to stop a rifle round. Um, this is where we get into the pillars of the vehicle. Uh, one of the things being stressed right now is to utilize 
the pillars of the car are the structural members of the vehicle that go from the floorboard in the unibody underneath up to the top of the vehicle, to the roof of the vehicle, and they're generally at the front hinge of the front door of the vehicle. They're at the back of the door of the vehicle, which is also the front hinge of the second door if it's a four-door, and then they're behind that door and then possibly at the rear of the vehicle. Um, you know, so what, what we're teaching nowadays or what people are being told to teach nowadays, the data basically shows that the steel used in those pillars is dramatically more likely to stop all manner of common bad guy bullets, yeah. whether it's rifle, whether it's, you know, whether it's a, an AR-223 round, uh, whether it's a, a shotgun slug, believe it or not, double-lot buck for sure, and all kind of pistol rounds. So if you can get that pillar between you and the bad guy or multiple pillars between you and the bad guy, um, I think they use the terminology stacking pillars. So that was some of the stuff we were working on was getting out of the vehicle and aligning with certain parts of the vehicle to get those between us and the bad guy. Um, again, there's a lot of detail here that, you know, the, the science of it and, and the technique of it can be discussed. But using the pillars also probably pushes a more important aspect of all this. When we were hunkering down behind tires and hunkering down behind wheels and hunkering down behind engine blocks, we didn't get good situational awareness. And so staying vertical, staying on your feet or staying in a squatted position where you're up and you can move around and be mobile and keep an eye on the threat while utilizing pillars for protection gives you a lot better situational awareness, which I think is probably one of the big things helping with survivability, not just stopping bullets, but seeing where the bad guy is rather than hiding behind the transaxle or the engine and having the guy sneak around the side of the car and shoot you. Yeah, at that point, the train is no longer to your advantage. Exactly, yeah. I mean, if you grab a piece of cover and just decide to hug it and make love to it um, and stay there for a while and not see what's going on, that's not that's a that's a horrible idea whether you're in a building um, or whether you're outside around a vehicle or whatever so um, a, a quick note that's something we probably should have stated earlier um, Brian mentioned the idea the vehicle is terrain step outside of a, your grocery store step outside of um, I, I don't any place you go on a regular basis step outside of a school step outside of a, any building step outside of your home if you have children who are of driving age um, and, and look around you, the one thing that you will find that's just about everywhere are cars. So, you know, Brian mentioning that they're terrain, that is a very intentional description of what a vehicle is because they are truly everywhere. So it doesn't necessarily have to be your vehicle that you're fighting around. It could be whatever vehicle is nearby if something happens to pop off, even if it's not a crowd-based situation. Um, you know, somebody decides to try and mug you as you're walking down High Street um, in the short north and there's vehicles parked all on the side of the road and you decide that it's time to fight um, those vehicles are maybe applicable terrain for you to use in that fight so bear that in mind in that environment too it doesn't just have to be oh crap my car's been you know disabled somehow and now I have to get out of it it could be literally almost anywhere you would go uh, in in the US for certain yeah. but around the world so uh, to, to actually pull from a, a good movie example um, for those of you that have seen the movie Heat from, I think it's 1993, mm -hmm. um, if you haven't, go watch it, particularly the um, downtown L.A. gunfight scene, um, which is honestly one of, the, I think, the top five most realistic gunfights in a movie. Still. Still. Still, um, even though the movie's almost 30 years old now. Yeah. Um, but if you'll notice there, you know, the, the bad guys um, are continually bounding you know, from one piece of terrain to another. Yeah. Um, in this case, they're mostly using parked cars or abandoned cars. Yeah. 
or um, not as their terrain um you know being able to, to recognize and to read um that terrain in the real world you know would be very much to your advantage um, especially if you're up against multiple adversar- adversaries yeah yeah if you haven't thought about a vehicle in terms of being at least concealment likely temporary cover possibly cover cover um understand that it might be and it's a great asset if there's nothing else around um if there are other things around that don't allow you to go prone out that don't force you to go prone out but still act as cover you know one of the things we see a lot in common urban areas are things like planters and things of that nature that were actually put in place to keep vehicles from having access to places where populated places um those same structures are great cover um, but they also kill your mobility and, and, you know, and so just be aware of the difference in those things. Maybe the idea of reading that terrain vehicle to vehicle is a lot better asset to you, especially if you're trying to egress the situation, you might have a lot more options of which car to run to next yeah. to stay behind cover or stay protected temporarily. So yeah, if you, even if you can't, you know, if you can't stomach the idea of calling a vehicle cover, call it protection, use whatever words you want. Um, it is know. at the moment better than being in the open. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and you know, it's still protection, even if it only works 97% of the time. Sounds like you're talking about masks or condoms either way. So cool. Um, so anyway, we, you know, we spent a, a fair amount of time basically unassing the vehicles we were working with, um, engaging, you know, contact front contact, right contact, left contact rear, um, you know, just basically getting out of the vehicle, getting to a, a point of protection of some sort, um, and, and depending on the situation and then the distance to the threats, things of that nature, engaging, th- you know, engaging those threats, potentially as you're leaving the vehicle or before you leave the vehicle, or once you're out of the vehicle and are to a point of cover or protection and going from there. And then also beyond that, communicating and moving to further points of cover um, that maybe are more advantageous or just simply more distant from the threat, which is always advantageous as well. Um, that, that part of it is, is no, it's just common movement, whether it's single person movement, two man movement or whatever. Um, you know, and that, you know, shoot, move, communicate. If it's just you, you're talking to yourself. Um, but maybe you're talking to other innocents around you, telling them to move, get away, whatever. But as a two man team, you know, having that conversation that, Hey, you're moving, where are you moving, etc. Um, you know, and then beyond that, uh, some of it was geared a little more toward law enforcement from a perspective of, okay, we think that, that everything's kind of under control and we've contained the situation. Now, you know, we want to make sure that we don't have any threats among what we think are non-threats at that point in dealing with appropriate cover communication and movement there too. Um, again, as an LEO, if you've not trained doing this stuff, if you're not comfortable with it, especially the communication, where your muzzle's at with the gun and the communication about how you move to keep that muzzle off of your teammates is and the teammate may not be a teammate. It may be the guy you're working with that day, or it may be the first unit, mutual aid unit that happens to show up that you've never worked with before. Um, then it becomes really critical to be able to give good direction or take good direction if it's given to you in understanding huh, when it's good direction and when it's not. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, let's say to add to all this, yeah. there's also the importance of being able to surgically um, put rounds where they need to go. Uh, we were engaging targets anywhere from five to probably twenty yards. Yeah, um, and there were there were a lot of shot up A zones on targets. Yeah, and, and there and there also were a number of situations too where, um, you know, maybe the bad guy knows how to use cover too, or his position is cover from your teammate or your partner, but is only partial cover for you. There were a number of different times where 
you know, I had an arm and, and, you know, if I've got a threat and I've got an arm, I'm going to put bullets in meat. And there are a number of times where I just, I chose to shoot that target two or three times. And when you, you know, from, from 30 feet away, when you start seeing four or five rounds in the shoulder of a target in a group, you know, the size of a tennis ball, there's not much argument that those were misses. Those were legit those hits. Were, they were just were, hits on the meat yeah. I had available. So take the biggest part of the target and hit it. Um, and understand that, again, that may be your gunfight. The bad guy may not, you know, stick his whole A zone out there for you. You may have to shoot something to get his attention. And who knows, maybe shooting somebody, even though it's not technically a lethal shot, maybe that gets somebody to disengage from the fight, which means you've won the fight. Um, and if nobody happens to die, that would be a wonderful thing too. So Yeah, I think yeah. The, the main thing is, you know, just because we've added some other element, yeah. does not mean you know you can just blaze away and throw rounds everywhere yeah um, if anything the need for surgical call it rapid precision shooting is increased is, it has increased yeah yeah because all those vehicles out there um you basically have to assume that you know if the bad guy's using another vehicle for cover you have to assume that vehicle's occupied um by it's either a, a minivan full of nuns um, or an SUV full of orphans, you know, take your pick and you don't want to put bullets in either one, you know, unless they're, you know, that picture with all the nuns holding the ARs or something. I don't know. Um, Merc nuns, whatever. Um, uh, you know, so yeah, definitely it becomes important to be able to place those rounds and understand, you know, what appropriate backstops may be. Um, you know, you, you want to come out alive, but at what cost? Um, and if it's in a traffic environment, um, you know, that's a big deal. And we're back to also, if it's in a crowded environment where there's a, a peaceful protest that turned violent all of a sudden, who thought that could ever happen? Um, if it's in that environment, understand that, man, if you put bullets in meat that you weren't supposed to, you will pay dearly for it. Um, because the prosecutors in this day and age have really turned into a bunch of spineless jellyfish. Um, and they're not going to say, well, you know, well, yeah, that, that, that quote-unquote peaceful protester was a, a collaborator with the Antifa butthole who was trying to light stuff on fire. They're likely not going to go that route, especially if you're in Columbus where you've got, you know, Jellyfish Genther and, and whoever else that just doesn't have the spine to deal with bad guys. Um, it could be even worse in places like Portland, Kenosha, Detroit, Chicago, etc. So be aware of that. When... Win the first fight well enough that you can win the second fight. Yeah. So, cool. Um, how much further down the rabbit hole? I mean, how much? I mean, I, I think that kind of covers what we did. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, like I said, you know, the, the, this, the, we definitely spent that first night spending a lot more time worrying about getting out of the vehicle and getting to a point of safety, cover, protection, whatever, than we did focusing on the actual technical aspects of shooting through and around the vehicle. Um, other than don't shoot the vehicle because it's not going to do you any good and it probably will piss off the guy that owns it. So, yeah, when you're training. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, like we said, if, you know, this is something that interests you, please do see competent training. Yep. Um, centrifuge um, training with Will Petty, 88 Tactical, um, especially if you've got elite credentials. Um, I think one or both those guys teach on occasion up at Alliance Police True. Training. True. Uh, a quick note of congratulations to Joe Wire for being the Ohio uh, Tactical Training Officer of the Year. Um, Joe's the guy that runs Alliance Police Training. Um, yeah, uh, Sierra Training Group here in Central Ohio does vehicle-based stuff from time to time. Um, some other excellent pistol and rifle training opportunities there. Uh, yeah, Mike Pannone and CTT Solutions. 
um, especially if he's in the eastern United States, eastern part of the United States. Um, highly regarded um, doing stuff with him. Uh, and on that note, um, we repost articles, links, and such from all of those individuals or organizations on our social media. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram to search for Cap City Outfitters. We also do an email newsletter once a week where we talk about things like this. Um, you can sign up for that on our website, capcityoutfitters.com, or send us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com, and we will happily add you to the newsletter. Um, and then lastly, please come and visit us at the store. We're in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery <laughs> Road. We're right in front of all these um, next to Louis Fusion Drill. Um, please note that we are running um, COVID-related hours. We are 10 to 5 Tuesday through Saturday, and we are limiting it to four people in the store so that everyone can properly social distance to keep our tyrannical dictator of a governor happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, hope to see you all soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.